Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. Game week has arrived. Notre Dame football will soon be taking its flight to Dublin, Ireland for a season opener against Navy. The last time Notre Dame made this trip, the Irish kicked off a run to the BCS National Championship game with a 50-10 to victory over Navy in 2012. The starting right guard for the Irish that day was Mike Golick Jr., so we asked him to make a return appearance on the podcast to discuss his experience, the current Irish team, and its new offensive line. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, yeah, what it, it's crazy that that was 11 years ago now. <laughs> I, I I feel older and older on a daily basis. My younger sister's getting ready to have a kid. Like all the normal things that age you, but seeing some of the video pop up, I just saw Stefan Tuitt's scoop and score touchdown from that game make its way back to my timeline today. And the nostalgia is definitely starting to hit home and the reality that I'm not going back this time around, but my parents are, which feels really unfair. (laughs) Yeah, that is unfair. So what, so what is the key to conquering jet lag before Saturday's game? Man, it's just like anything else. You try and make it as normal as quickly as you can. I don't know what the team's plan is this year specifically, but I remember the real hurdle for us was we traveled on Wednesday, I believe it was, and we were going on a red eye. So we got there in the morning and we immediately got off the plane and went to practice. And I saw footage. Jack Swarbrick was over there and kind of reversed what had normally been going on. I did a lot of the behind the scenes content for fighting Irish media. And Jack actually took the mic and was interviewing us. And he interviewed me coming off the practice field that day. And I looked like I had come off a three day bender and I (laughs) sounded even worse. And so getting through that first practice was definitely a battle but from there there on out, it's flipping your clock and trying to just get to the same meeting schedule you've been using, what's going to be your same game day schedule from there on out. It's really the challenge that's presented on every road game. It's how do we come in and make this feel as normal as possible? That's why we ate the same thing. That's why we met at the same time, all on the road in every environment we went to. You're just doing it with far more travel involved than most of those. And so it's that first adjustment of a new season in week one in a lot of ways that are going to be uncommon. And then, oh, by the way, you get to play the triple option team on top of that, too. So it's trying to make a lot of abnormal feel as normal as possible. And that's a challenge that really falls in the coaches and the support staff. Okay. A, a couple of things popped up when you were talking about that. One is, well, I'll do, I'll do these separate, so I'm not doing the stacking the questions here. Um, did you get to do anything culturally there other than food? Uh, no, they did the smart thing when you got 120 college kids in a foreign <laughs> country for a game. You stick them out in the middle of nowhere at a hotel. And it was a big, nice hotel. I forget what it was. We were nowhere near Dublin. And I remember having to walk in the lobby every morning and see my dad and all the support staffers walking around there hungover because they had been out by the temple bar having fun (laughs) while we were over there, understandably having to do the work. So now we got to do a bus tour one day around downtown. I will never forget Chris Watt, who was our starting left guard at that point, uh, looked over at one point and he goes, do you think we'll go by the statue of James Joyce? And I was like, what? Only you would know that there is even a statue of James Joyce in the city of Dublin for us to see at some point. So that was the extent of the culture that we got to take in on that trip, courtesy of one Chris Watt. Okay. So, you know, when we talked about to Marcus yesterday, they have done, I mean, really leaned into sports science about this trip. They've talked to a lot of people. 
especially and even about the trip back. Mm. They're going to stay overnight, then come back on Sunday. They think that will help them. He was under the impression you guys flew back after the game. Um, but I'll tell you what, you guys looked dead against Purdue. Now, was that just, was that some of the uh, hangover from Ireland? Or were you guys just saying, ah, it's Purdue? You know what? It's one of those things It's a lot harder to to feel and acknowledge that when you're a college kid. You know, you talk to like NFL veterans, Kyle Rudolph's a buddy of mine. And, you know, over the years, how long it takes those guys to bounce back, the effect of a short week on a Thursday night or all those things that you feel even more acutely. Hell, I'm, you know, about to be 34. I feel it more acutely on a day-to-day basis than when you're 20 and 21 years old and feel like you can conquer the world. So we might've felt a little bit more tired. I also just think for us to looking back on that team, offensively, we were never a juggernaut that season. We didn't have a ton of blowouts on the schedule. And so I think the margins were always closer for us, just style of play wise. You know, I remember that team too, early in the season, K1 short certainly gave your boy a lot of trouble on that (laughs) O-line D line matchup in that game. So I I do think there's something to be said for that. And I think for Notre Dame in general, the way they laid out the schedule this season is a really smart admission that this is asking more of our athletes, even if at, you know, 18 to 22 years old, their bodies might bounce back better than normal. You still want to try and do your best to get them on track after that week, get them back into a normal routine, and then try and work your way into a season that's got some pretty high aspirations and give yourself the best chance that way. So Mike, the, the two new guards who have claimed the starting spots are Pat Coogan at left guard and Rocco Spindler at right guard. What do you want to see from them against Navy to give you some confidence in what they could do moving forward? I think just consistency in the communication. Like I always say that there are pretty easy places to see how an offensive line communicates from a fan perspective, right? You know, no easy blown assignments against blitz looks, which we'd expect to get a lot of from coach Newberry in this Navy outfit, the way we saw last year. How do you pass off things like stunts and twists? Those to me are emblematic, usually of just as much how you execute technique, right? You've got a new O-line coach in Joe Rudolph. So we're going to be watching to see how well does this group execute his technique and what he's asked them to do. And to me, that always shows up in blitz pickup and things like stunts and twists that are just as much that technique as they are pre-snap recognition. Hey, am I cognizant of down and distance? Are we communicating that with Zeke Corral, who's, you know, a, been, a, been a guy there at center starting for a couple of years with our tackles that are now veteran players and incredibly talented ones? Do you see them communicate and execute what they're seeing pre-snap, an understanding of the situation, and all get on the same page? I want to see five guys seeing everything through one set of eyes. That's the offensive line credo. That's what the best units all do. And if you can come out and have as close to a clean sheet as possible in week one, I think that'd be a really good sign for them. You know, eventually, yeah, we want to see them maul people off the ball. We want to see this be one of the best units in the country, but I'd say especially for guys going out there and really getting their first taste of starting action for both of those guys. You know, Rocco's been a name that people have known for a while and have been waiting for this moment around South Bend, but there's a lot of nerves that come with that. And you want to go and you're going to fire out a thousand miles an hour. You're playing one of the first games in college football. You're in Dublin. All of those factors are going to be there. They're going to have you amped up and ready to go and try and mash a Navy defensive front that's going to be lighter in the ass than you. All the things that we know about them 
but it's going to be how quickly can you get through that initial wave of nerves and then play football from the neck up the way that this unit's going to need to to keep Sam Hartman clean and make this offense run the way they want. Mike, what do you think is a realistic growth curve for this offensive line, given that there's two new pieces? Zeke Corral missed some, you know, a little over a week of practice with an ankle here fairly recently. He's just coming back from that. And and in those position battles, the twos ended up overtaking the ones. So it wasn't like they were working with them in the spring a whole lot. Um, So, I mean, is week three reasonable? Should it be week one? What's your expectation? Uh, Listen, it's going to take some time. I mean, it took time last year, and we had a decent amount of veteran guys coming back. I think, you know, looking back last season, and that's another thing I I want to acknowledge again, you know, I haven't been around to Joe Rudolph practice yet, but you know, watched obviously a lot of his units at Wisconsin, familiar with some of the guys that came out of there. And just anecdotally, it's not the exact same technique. It almost never is than from one coach to another. I had four O-line coaches in five years at Notre Dame, and it was very rarely the exact same thing you're taught that are core principles for each and every coach. And so last year for that offensive line, they were getting used to what Coach Eastand wanted and demanded from them on a daily basis. And you saw that steady improvement as the season went along. They're talented guys. They're smart guys. It matters to them. And so you saw them put it on display, but it took a while last year. And so I'd imagine for a group that's now getting back to learning different techniques, different communication styles with their coach, it's going to be a couple of weeks of onboarding of that too, where there may be a few more mistakes than we are looking for. There may be a little bit of penetration given up or bad communication on a game, something like that. But I think those first few weeks of the season, especially in a sport where you don't have a defined preseason playing against other teams, joint practices like you see in the NFL and just limited time on field that we know college football has. I think some mistakes should be expected. I think especially on the edges, you've got the talent, you've got enough veteran leadership coming back that should help mitigate those with communication, with the talent out there, with everybody involved. But these things do take time, but I think we've seen the Notre Dame offensive line group, especially in the last decade, has displayed an aptitude for being able to go out there and perform at a really high level, even with absorbing some change the way they're going to, both on the offensive line and just the offense in general with a new voice in the room now with Jared Parker. Mike, I wanted to follow up because one of the guys that lost the position battle was Billy Shrout. He gives off an NFL vibe. I know Harry thinks he might be a first-round draft choice someday. He's only a sophomore, you know, basically a redshirt freshman. Um, and yet he didn't win that battle. So what would your advice be to him, uh, given the fact that those two guards are coming back next year too? And so what would you say to a guy like Billy Shrouth? I mean, you just stay ready and keep working at it. I mean, there's nothing that says that there won't be instances where those guys get playing time. Plenty of coaches have different opinions on, hey, do I want to just play the same five? If I've got great depth at certain positions, do I want to get other guys in so that they're prepared in the event of an injury? We know injuries also do happen. I mean, Zeke Carell's walking into this week after a minor ankle injury from that scrimmage like we heard about the other day. And so you just have to stay ready. I mean, I was a guy that didn't get my real starting experience until late into my true senior year. You're never sure where it comes. Obviously, a guy with that kind of ability, and like you said, the kind of trajectory you think he could be on, it's still the most technical position. I'd say offensive line and defensive back are the most learned positions on the field. They require 
the most technical prowess because they're the most unnatural positions on the field. You're going backwards, blocking the best athletes that the other team has to offer. And so that stuff can take time. But again, if it didn't go your way now, that's not to say it can't go your way sooner than later, depending on things that happen. So you got to stay ready. You got to keep you know digging into the things that the coach is asking of you and this particular coach and just try and kind of keep that mindset here because you truly never know. And the last thing you want is your opportunity to show up and you to be sulking or pouting. And I'm not saying that's how he's built or what he would do, but I'm just saying in general, you don't want to be caught unprepared for what might be your best chance to go out there and show your worth. Mike, given that there are two new guards, I, I know obviously we talk a lot about the tackles because of their talent level, but I don't know that there's a lot of Zeke Carell discourse out there. Yeah. How, how much more important is his role as the center with those two inexperienced guards next to him and making sure that, that he plays a role in their development and making sure that everyone is on the same page like you were mentioning earlier? Yeah, huge from a communication standpoint. I mean, a lot of offenses, you'll have the center call out most of the assignments, especially for the guys on the interior, and you're just working together, running pass all the time. One of the biggest parts, regardless of who's in there, but of every season where you've got an offensive line changing parts is figuring out, all right, how much help does this guy need from me in each given situation? Where's he going to be at on a double team? If we've got to block a D tackle who's lined up in a three technique, where is he going to put his hat on any given play? What do I need to be ready for? And how can I mitigate that with communication at the start of the play? you also know, hey, this guy right now, super dialed in, super physical, maybe doesn't have our playbook down cold. So I've got to help him overcome some of that by over-communicating, over-emphasizing, not worrying about if the defense knows what we're about to do or not. It's, hey, do we know what we need to do? And then we can worry about the business of going out and executing. And that's run and pass. You know, for a center, especially if you're facing teams that are based out of a four-down front, you control a lot of the timing of where and when to administer help from that center spot. Mm -hmm. And so it's that awareness of that that can help make everyone's lives a little easier while they're getting used to full-speed college football at the Division One level and at the Power Five level like those guys are going to. So it's a big responsibility, but I think Zeke's always done a good job. Like I would say at a fundamental level, like being big and staying square in the middle of an offensive line can go a long way at that position, and that's always been a strength of Zeke's going back to, you know, the North Carolina game three years ago or whatever that was when he started getting some meaningful time. And so mm -hmm. I think really just an emphasis on being in the right place when you're supposed to be there as the veteran guy and over communicating with dudes that are playing their first real reps. Mike, there was a point where the media had access to a full practice a couple weeks ago and the defensive front had their way with the offensive line and and we were all kind of a little surprised given the fact that there weren't high expectations for the defensive front but i'm i'm curious from your perspective is that was that to be expected are are there going to be days like that especially when the media is in practice when they're not going to run a lot of their best plays so that we don't write about them <laughs> Yeah, well, and I mean, camp always kind of skews in favor of the defense when you're onboarding a lot of this stuff. And that's a defensive unit that does have, you know, while they're working in some new guys and pass rusher, we know has been a priority. But, you know, Riley and Howard have been in the middle there for a while now working at live reps. This is a linebacking core that's an extremely veteran group and ones that are active and factors in certain run stunts being pass rushers. So 
they're all a part of that. And you've got those guys who are used to what Al Golden and Marcus Freeman want from the defensive front, used to playing with each other, going up against an offense that's changed coordinators and offensive line coaches this offseason as well as personnel. So there's a heavy advantage in training camp anyway towards defense. But I think especially given those circumstances, it's not all that surprising. And I don't really sound the alarms yet. It's great to hear that our defensive unit that, like we said, Certain spots, we were wondering what we were going to get, what the depth along the interior was going to look like. So you take that positive there without, I think, worrying too much about what this group is capable of becoming versus what they are when you're supposed to be working through the mistakes, trying things, and trying to make each other better in practice the way it sounds like they did. Mike, looking at this Notre Dame team as a whole, what what makes you most excited about this unit and what what are you looking forward the most to, to sort of seeing what, what this team can become. Well, I mean, it's cool as hell to see that we got cornerback depth. Like that <laughs> is not something in my Notre Dame lifetime we have had, but between, you know, Benjamin Morris and, and, and the starting group that we've got out there, Cam Hart, one of the captains, but then, you know, hearing about Christian Gray and some of the young guys developing on this roster, it, it's cool to see that. And the production we got out of that spot last year, obviously if we can keep Cam healthy this whole season, You've got two of the more physically impressive and certainly productive corners in the country against the schedule that's going to necessitate that. We know all about that Ohio State wide receiver room. We know what USC and Caleb Williams are capable of. And so when it's best on best, we've got dudes that we think can hunt there. And then, listen, I'm like everyone else. I'm excited to see what Sam does behind that group. And I think Navy's a great test for that. You know, the second we all remember the second half of the Navy game last year where they just said, hey, we're going to go and make the line of scrimmage a living hell. We're going to throw the kitchen sink at you on every play, and we're going to bet that your quarterback can't make enough of those plays. And Drew Pine, who had an outstanding first half, didn't have as great of a second half. We all look at this and believe, all right, Sam Hartman, with his infinite amount of college football reps and wisdom, is going to be a guy that's going to be able to beat some of those looks should they present. I'll be curious to see what Coach Newberry does knowing he's facing a veteran quarterback, knowing he's got a guy who's got a ton of answers and has seen a ton of different looks throughout his time in college football, will you be as all out in the approach and the pressure? But, you know, seeing the value of those reps for Sam and what it does for a young receiver group that, listen, we know wasn't the talk of training camp coming out, but I have a lot of respect for what Jaden Thomas has done in his versatility last year in this offense, at times operating like a pseudo tight end. I know everyone's excited about Tobias Merriweather, so... I think the effect that a quarterback in game situations can have on a skill group that's looking to really insert itself into the conversation after being dominated largely by Michael Mayer last year is a really fascinating plot that will ultimately define, I think, what the ceiling for this Notre Dame team looks like. Mike, uh, I wondered what your personal feelings were about playing Navy on an annual basis for Notre Dame is and whether that was kind of universal amongst your teammates. It's one of those that you appreciate the, you know, obviously the the historical ties that bind Notre Dame to the Naval Academy and why that game will always be played. And, it, you know, it, it's such a special game before and after, right? Because you, you understand what these young men represent to the country after the game. You know, we trade all the modders and that's always a really powerful moment. But in game, it's hell. I mean, they run the triple option. You're worried about someone getting hurt every time. The first time you hit a defensive player from the Naval Academy, who is much smaller than anyone else you'll see on the schedule, much smaller than anyone you've seen in practice, and they come up and put two helmet screws right in the middle of your chest, pop back up, and are fired up, ready to go for the next play every time. 
it's an adjustment, especially for the guys that have never played the service academies before. And so that part of it is tough because you are worried about, hey, are we going to get out of this game healthy? Are we going to lose, especially on defense, one of our starters? Now, with the changes in the rules, and I know Coach Newberry has kind of downplayed this as opposed to Jeff Munkin and Army and the way they're approaching the triple option based on a lot of the rules around cut blocking going into this season. It's still definitely a concern, but ultimately it's a game we all understand is an important part of this university, really of both universities and means a lot to both sides, even if you hold your breath every time, because it's just chaos. It's different football in practice and in a game for a week. And then you've got to go back and almost completely hit a hard reset in how you approach the rest of the season. Mike, obviously we know you're not going to be at the game this weekend. If I give you an unlimited budget and unlimited free time, which Notre Dame game this season would you pick to attend? Who? I mean, Ohio State at home would be a pretty cool one. I always think anytime we've got a chance to host a big-time opponent like that in our house, obviously I hope that fewer of those tickets go towards the people wearing (laughs) red than they have in the past for teams like that. That would be real cool. But um, I, I think a chance to see that one. And, you know, for Notre Dame, there is hope that, all right, you know, Ohio State quarterback turnover yet again, which they're used to, and Ryan Day and that program have proven they can come in and make kings out of that position as well or better than anybody. You've got maybe the best skill group in the country surrounding him. So it's certainly nice insulation, but that's going to be a fun one. I think when you get a chance to go best on best like that, USC's arrival that we see all the time. So, you know, I've gotten to live that game pretty personally. Clemson's one that's become a really fun rivalry over the recent number of years, the back and forth Notre Dame's one year foray into the ACC and certainly getting to do that one on the road in Death Valley. What a great scene that's going to be. But I think Ohio State coming to South Bend is going to be really cool and another great opportunity that I'd be uh, really interested in getting to check out. Mike, last one for me. Um, you had Jimmy Clausen as the quarterback, then Dane, Tommy Reese, Everett Golson were kind of the guys and a lot of different uh, prowess in terms of pre-snap reads at the line of scrimmage. Sam Hartman brings that. I think we are all excited about his deep passing game, but what could his experience at the line of scrimmage mean for Notre Dame? Yeah, it's, and, you know, again, all those guys were so great at so many different things. And I didn't get to play on the field, you know, with Dame, which I would have loved, or Jimmy uh, at the beginning of all that. Um, But, you know, watching those guys both incredibly bright from the neck up, incredibly gifted guys as as was Everett but Everett was just young when we got him in there right it was his first year playing college football as a redshirt freshman my fifth year and so there was a certain onboarding process there as far as that and he even got that down by the end of the season but I I always point to Tommy as a guy I actually got to play on field with a bunch of reps as he was the starter as this ultimate reminder of what preparation feels like for the rest of the group because we're all watching the picture up front And we're all seeing, all right, what are we getting here? How's the defense tilting? How does that affect what we called in the huddle? And to know your quarterback. And for us, we always knew Tommy was going to be at the right spot in the pocket. Tommy was going to have us in the right check and be exactly where he needed to be for that play. He might not have the wheels to get you out of it. He might not have the craziest arm, but he was going to be where he needed to be when he needed to be there. And he was always going to give you a chance to win from that standpoint. I thought as a player and a coach, that's what he always demonstrated. But that goes a long way for the rest of the group where it's, all right, well, I know the quarterback's going to be dialed in on the big picture stuff, and I can be aware of that, but he's going to have us in the right spot. He's going to be where he needs to be in the pocket relative to me 
to give me the chance, best chance to block my guy the right way. He's not going to drift back too far and make an easier angle for the D line, but he's not going to break contain when he's supposed to. And so having someone who's got two hands on the wheel on all that stuff just lets everyone else go play ball from that point. Now you can focus on, all right, how do I best block this three technique? What do I need to do on this double team when it feels like the big lift is taken care of? And we see college and pro, you know, in, in the NFL level, all those gigantic play calls that we hear all the time are predicated on your quarterback being able to shoulder the load of, all right, I can give everyone their small part of the assignment in this big package because I know everything that's going on and I can make life easier for them. That's what Notre Dame's gotten Sam Hartman getting to talk to him the way he sees football and how much of it he's seen. It's an unbelievably valuable tool for this team going into the season. It can't be overstated. Well, all right, Mike, that's all we have for you. You can catch Mike on his podcast, Gojo Show, with former teammate Brandon Newman and a cast of characters from the DraftKings Network. If you have not listened, I have heavily encouraged you to do so. Um, we always appreciate you taking time to talk to us, Mike, and I'm sure we'll catch up with you down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Go Irish. All right. Now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at ND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Hond on the Insider Lounge. How worried are you about the play calling on offense headed into the season? And will this team be able to make important adjustments at halftime? Well, I'm more curious than worried. I'm not a big worrier. Um, and we've seen inexperienced coordinators at ND like Clark Lee on defense so and, and succeed, and so it's not unprecedented. And I'm not sure in the years that we had Tommy Reese, including last year, that we saw his production surpass his potential. But the inexperience is going to be tested. I mean, it's going to be tested against some really good defensive coordinators and good head coaches with coordinator experience like Brian Newberry. The other thing is I'm I'm curious how it's going to play out is he's a pretty emotional guy. So will that be an asset for him or a detriment or something in between? What I like about Jared Parker as an offensive coordinator is he's got a pretty wide catalog of influence to draw from. Um, obviously, he's not going to show a lot of that to us in practices, but I'm anticipating we'll see a more diverse offense. He's also got an offensive line coach in Joe Rudolph, a quarterback's coach in Gino Gadouli, who have coordinator experience. He's willing to listen to their ideas. He's willing to collaborate with them. I think that's a plus. Um, and so, you know, there was a third-year coordinator last year who didn't make halftime adjustments against Navy. So we'll see if a first-year one does. Yeah, it's funny. In my notes that I wrote uh, before the podcast uh, in regards to this question, I had the same phrase that I was more curious than worried. So it's kind of funny that we had the, the same sort of viewpoint on that. I I don't want to automatically skew negative um, because we really don't know what Jared Parker is going to be as a play caller in tough moments. I think certainly the concern is lowered because Sam Hartman is the quarterback, but uh, the coordinator is certainly going to have an impact on what this offense looks like. Um, I think it also has an impact on how this offense will be will be and has been understood by its players. I'm I'm very curious to see how much of a command um, the 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 players on the offense have, and and I think that also goes to sort of like the depth at positions. Like we believe that there's the running backs have depth and that they have confidence in playing all those. So 
that you would that would indicate that those guys all understand what they're being asked and so the play calling will be putting them in a position that they're doing things that um they're comfortable with and and can that be the same case at wide receiver um so those are things that i'm interested in seeing as it relates to the offense and play calling in terms of halftime adjustments i mean i i think they're gonna have to show us what what they can do as, as it relates to that um I would like to think Marcus Freeman as a head coach has learned some lessons in terms of what they want to do in terms of making some adjustments. Um, Certainly Al Golden is experienced, but I think having a better grasp of what he was able to do last season at Notre Dame and the better grasp of the personnel and also a better grasp of the opponents um, should allow them to make better adjustments as well. So um, they're in a position to be able to make those halftime adjustments. Now it's up to uh, the staff and the players to, to show that they can make meaningful ones. Uh, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. What worries you most about this Navy team? Most people feel Notre Dame should win this game fairly easily. If the game ends up being much closer than anticipated, what do you think the reasons would be for that outcome? Okay, if we're asked about worrying in the next question, I'm going to get a complex. <laughs> but, uh, I know what you're asking, Marie, and it's a great question. I think the biggest challenge is, are the unknown offensive evolutions that Navy has with a new coordinator who is not steeped in triple option um, and has some interesting offensive philosophies from his time at Kennesaw State, and that's Grant Chestnut. Um, And then Brian Newberry's defensive prowess, even though he's now the head coach, he elevated his linebackers coach, defensive coordinator, I'm sure, he has his hand and his philosophy still in that. Um, if the game ends up being much closer to anticipated, what would be the reasons? You know, turnovers, I think, is is one thing. Marcus Freeman brought this up three and out. So, you know, they're going to try to hog the ball and sit on the ball. If you go three and out, they're going to wear your defense down by just keeping them on the field. If you can't drive the ball, if you can't put up scores and get them out of there, ball hogging mode then then that's going to be a problem um you know if you don't take advantage of navy's weakness which has been past defense if you have poor tackling i don't anticipate anything those things happening right but they could and those would be the reasons yeah to me i mean i know there's new piece new coaching staff in place uh changes there but i the worry as it as it is, is is still the same. Like Navy plays a brand of football that limits possessions, um, and then that means there's less margin for error. And obviously, that's a big part of what the triple option does too. It forces you into spots where you have to make decisions and you have to be diligent and 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 dependent in doing the same thing every time, not getting bored of it, um, and making sure you're responsible for your assignments. And so, um, I don't anticipate Navy being that much drastically different so that the the blueprint for what Navy's trying to do is going to be any different. Um, so to me, like there's nothing necessarily about this specific Navy team that worries me more than others. Um, and I, I think if Notre Dame loses, I think a lot of it will be self-inflicted rather than um, Navy having some grand scheme that, that outsmarted uh, Notre Dame. Next question is from Robert Halicki at B Halicki fifty eight fifty nine. Not worry here, but uh, <laughs> we're in for a treat. Good morning, guys. Today is my birthday and my son's first day of kindergarten. Uh, tears everywhere. My question: What will bring you to tears, good or bad, if it happens in the Navy game? So I don't know if tears are 
uh, are coming our way, but <laughs> tears certainly aren't worries. So I guess it's a different way of asking that. <laughs> so, well, first of all, happy birthday and congrats yes. to you on the big day for you and your family, as far as the kindergarten going off to kindergarten and so forth. Um, so probably the worst thing that happened to me during a game was I was covering a game remotely and then my electricity went out during the game. <laughs> and so then I went to a friend's house and then their electricity went out. This was during the winter, during an ice storm. And so I ended up at a hotel and wrote from there and did everything I had to do from there. So that was stressful. I didn't cry. I will say, um, you know, I've cried once that I can remember during the football game that I was covering. And that was the 2020 season opener uh, against Duke. I had tears streaming down my face when the national anthem played just because I was so happy there was college football that year. I had heard so many and read so much during the summer that everything was going to get canceled and to be standing in a stadium, although 36 feet away from the person next to me in the press box <laughs> was really tears of joy. Um, so what would cause me to have tears in the Navy game? I had to give this a lot of thought. I would say if one of my sons called during the game and said, we're never going to ask you to borrow money again. I would, I would have tears of joy with that and surprise. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I don't, the, the chance of tears is low. Um, but in terms of things like it's obviously personal to us, like the outcome, it doesn't impact us the same way. Cause we have a job to do. Um, so for me, in terms of being mad, uh, if the Wi-Fi doesn't work, that would be that would be a problem. Right. <laughs> it might not cause tears, but it will cause complaints, um, and I won't be in a good mood. Um, good tears, I guess, if you're looking at it from like a fan perspective, just continued Sam Hart, deep, Sam Hartman, deep connections. Just um, the passing game being what many hoped it could be, um, and even though Navy probably isn't the best uh, measuring stick for that, just their name's offense following through on that and being able to make those plays and having some wide receivers show out. I think that would be a, a, a reason for some happy tears uh, for, for Notre Dame fans. I'll follow up. I had almost had tears. It was very close to tears on a football trip, but it wasn't at the actual game. Tyler and I went to this place called Della Sandro's in Philadelphia for a <laughs> cheesesteak that Mike McGlinchey had recommended. And I was not ready for how delicious that sandwich was. And I almost wept. I don't know about Tyler, but I was almost in tears. I'm right there. That's still like when someone says, what's the best meal you've had on a road trip? I always point to that one. That was, that was like, I've never had a cheesesteak that was anywhere in the neighborhood of that cheesesteak. Um, we've had plenty, I've had plenty of good food elsewhere, but, but that one was just so far out of the realm of what I had expectations for a cheesesteak to be like. And that was, that was pretty something. Uh, so yeah, that that one that one didn't quite draw tears, but I, I think if I were uh, feeling emotional that day, maybe maybe it would have. Uh, next question is from Frank Sarah at Frank Se. Bunch of numbers. How many yards rushing do you think Notre Dame will have against Navy? Well, I try to look at first at the Brian Newberry coached games against. Notre Dame and that only goes back to 2019 so it's the 2019 game the 2020 
one in the 2022 games. Last year, Notre Dame was 66 yards on 34 carries with 28 of those coming on one carry by Audric Estime. There were 30 yards and losses to Drew Pine alone. The, the previous year, um, Notre Dame rushed 150 yards on 31 carries. In 2019, it was 31 for 105. But and that was a really good Navy team in 2019. They were ranked in the top 25 at the end of the year. And when they played Notre Dame, booked through for five touchdowns in that game. That was a 52-20 route. That's kind of what Brian Newberry's defense tries to force you to do. So I would say 150 is probably a realistic number. Probably I'm gonna just settle on 150 yards. Yeah, I was I was in the 150 to 200 yard range. Like, if you want to give you like a window to, that that Notre Dame will likely fall into, I don't know that they'll get over 200. I I don't know that they'll have to. I think some of it is like there will be obvious passing opportunities, and so I think there's confidence in Sam Hartman's ability to to convert on those, and so Notre Dame will take those chances. Um, I do think certainly, I, at least that my vision of the game is. Notre Dame getting a lead and having opportunities to run the ball and then finding success later. Um, and so I think that that will increase the yardage total. Um, so I, I don't, I don't want to get too out ahead of things, even though, especially since Navy has done such a good job against the run. But um, I think in that 150 to 200 yard range is, is, is a reasonable expectation. Next question is from kill Shanning. Uh, this is a terrible pronunciation. I believe it is actually uh Irish, but I, I do not know what I'm doing here. So Kilkenny Tech is the, the Twitter handle. Has the offensive line been going full contact, full speed in practice? I keep hearing how the great D how great the D looks. Last time this happened, it was because our O line was not going full speed. Okay, so I would reference Mike Golick Jr.'s answer that we asked him during the interview. Um, and also I think they've gone full speed enough. I mean, not in every practice. I mean, not full contact in every practice. I'm not sure what your reference point is of yeah, last neither. time it happened. Do you know, Tyler? No, I didn't. I didn't know what that okay. was that was being referenced to either. And the other thing is, there's been some pretty decent Irish defensive line post 2016. From 2017 on, a lot of times it's been either the best position group on the team or one of the best position groups on the team. So I'm not sure how far back that goes, but I think in terms of getting the right looks in practice, I, I think I can assure you that, that they've gotten those looks now, how that's going to translate, you know, again, I'm not sure how quick the growth curve is going to be, but it's not because what they have done or have not done in practice. Yeah. I mean, like when we were giving reports from like the scrimmage, the last scrimmage we saw, like it wasn't that, that like the offensive line was just like going 50% and the defensive line was going hundred percent. Like that's, that that's, that's not what's ever asked of, of teams, unless you're doing talking about like scout team and walkthroughs like that's If they're going one-on-one, -on -one, like everyone's being asked to give their all there. Um, and so that's what, that was what was happening. And the defense was winning in those situations. Now, obviously we've talked about, the circumstances that can allow the defense to be in a better position to win those instances. But um, sometimes you, you got to win those battles, even if, even if you're putting a disadvantage. Um, and so that's, that's what I want to see Notre Dame's offensive line do. 
um, in these first few games. And, and you're probably not going to be disadvantaged physically against Navy or Tennessee state, but maybe there'll be some schematic disadvantages and put, put those offensive linemen in tough spots and, and seeing that how they handle that, uh, those situations will be um, important to, to get a gauge of what this offensive line can be. All right. Next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. I know the team has to go out and win, earn each win, but is there something you're looking for, some secret ingredient in these first three weeks that would convince you that ND is better positioned to challenge Ohio State? You know, that's a difficult question. I understand why you want to look ahead because you're trying to figure out is this team playoff worthy or not? And you want clues of that leading up to the Ohio State game, which is going to be a huge test. I think a lot of what you look for in a playoff team is the same thing that you look for every year. There, there's. I always think that there's five metrics that show up with teams that are playoff contenders and that win playoff games, and that's being really good at run defense, total defense, turnover margin, rush offense, and um, and pass efficiency. If you're really good at least four out of those five and and not bad at the fifth one, you have a chance. Now, how does that match up with Ohio State? How does that match up with USC? I mean, obviously, you've got to have a have really good cornerbacks, which Notre Dame oddly does this year mm-hmm. and so forth. But I would look for those markers. If if they're good and very good in those things leading into the Ohio State game, you hope that they hold up in the Ohio State game. But if they're not good in those things, then that would be a cause of concern for me. And then Parker's play calling. Yep. You know, if if we see a nice rhythm, we see some innovations that show, hey, this guy has a real knack for this. I think that would be a good sign too. Yeah, for sure. I think those those uh statistical categories are definitely good staples and benchmarks to 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 lean on. I think when I think about this question, I sort of just look at a lot of the things we've been asking about what this team can be is like, is there a consistent pass rush? Will we see that in those first three weeks to get a sense of what Notre Dame can do? I think that would certainly go a long way in helping Notre Dame beat Ohio state. Um, does all, does Notre Dame have playmakers in the passing game? Um, that is, that will go a long way in helping Notre Dame beat Ohio state. And then lastly is, is there stability on the interior offensive line? Uh, now we know who the guys are. Now it's time for them to go out and prove that they um, can meet the standard that folks expect Notre Dame's offensive line to to reach. So um, those are the things, and those are the things we've been talking about all off season. I think, at least I have, um, that I, I'd like to see in the first three weeks to give me um, more evidence that Notre Dame can beat Ohio State. All right, next question is from Irish at Irish Danny 777. Sam Hartman is a talented quarterback that has every Irish fan giddy, but should an injury happen to Sam, are the Irish in a better, the same, or worse position than they were last year? Um, I would say similar, and here's why I would say that. I, I think um, Angeli would actually have, he wouldn't have Michael Mayer, but I think maybe has better pieces around him totally. Uh, I think he's a better athlete. I think he has a better arm. Pine was really mentally locked in um, and an 
a heck of a competitor, even though maybe he didn't have some of the physical gifts Angeli mm. did. I think where Angeli has a real advantage and, and was really smart about it was just becoming attached at the hip to Sam Hartman in the offseason yeah. and learning from him and taking advantage of having a guy like that on campus in your quarterback room. And Kenny Minchie did the same thing once he came in June. So I think that's going to help him. I mean, Sam would, if he was injured, theoretically, he'd be on the sideline and able to help Steve Angeli. But I, I think if you strip away that stuff, is Angeli a better quarterback than Drew Pine? Boy, a lot of fans thought last year he was when he didn't play. Um, but I think he's still very inexperienced. Yeah, I I, I would say about the same too. Can, can Angeli be better than Pine? I, I do think that's a possibility. But I do think Drew Pine did some good things for, for Notre Dame last season after some obvious struggles early on. Um, I think – especially on the inside of the message board, there was a conversation about Steve Angeli. And, and I think there's been a little bit of an overreaction to the positive momentum that Steve Angeli has rightly earned this preseason. I think he played well enough to be the backup and uh, proved that. But I mean, personally, I was coming from a place that I was uncertainty that he would even do that. So his good camp is a good sign, but I, it doesn't mean that I have the utmost confidence in him coming into the game or that he's a star in the making or he's, definitely the next year's starting quarterback. I think those are all things that are um, maybe possible for Steve Angeli, but if he's thrown in the game this year, um, you're talking about an inexperienced quarterback that wasn't exactly lighting it up in high school. He wasn't a, a prolific passer. Um, so I, I, I think you want to see what he can do um, in, in those game moments to, to feel confident in him. So I, I don't know that I would be a lot more confident in Steve Angeli coming into a game and, and fi or or finishing the season um, as Notre Dame starting quarterback than I would have been with Drew Pine um, at, at the point he did last season. All right, uh, last question we have is from C.S. Ryan on the Insider Lounge. I have been very impressed with Marcus Freeman's commitment to special teams, which was a drastic improvement over his predecessor. In year two, what are the realistic expectations for the individual special team units? Okay, so um, let, let, looking at the kicker, Spencer Schrader will be the place kicker and the kickoff guy. Uh, certainly on kickoffs, I think it's an upgrade over last year of having uh, Yoakum as the kicker, although I thought he did a really good job stepping as a freshman walk-on. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and in a huge game right. uh, at the kind of the last minute. Uh, but Spencer Schrader is going to get you more touchbacks. As a kicker, he gives you more range than Blake Groupie. Blake Groupie was mentally locked in. Spencer Schrader in all, but I think one of the practices was really accurate uh, with his field goal kicking. So mm -hmm. it'll be interesting, again, when the lights are bright and there's high leverage situations. He didn't have those at South Florida. They were always getting blown out. Uh, but he has incredible range. So I still think that's a plus. John Sott was incredible in terms of placing the ball. And he had a big leg too. Bryce McPherson has a bigger leg. Mm -hmm. uh, and if he can do, and, and we've seen him place the ball well in just the few times. I mean, I've watched him. I've watched this control. He likes to 
go as kick when he's inside he likes to kick as close to the ceiling as he can without hitting it it's like a game to him um so there's there's a lot of control with his placement um so i think they may actually be better off and i thought john sott was excellent punt returns having chris tyree back there i like that i i'm i'm really interested to see how that plays out because i think he'll be smart and i think He's got enough wiggle that he'll do well as a punt returner. I, I have more confidence in him as a punt returner than I did as a kickoff returner, which is why I'm glad to see Devin Ford as the number one kickoff return guy mm-hmm. uh, because he's got lots of speed. He's got experience from doing it at Penn State. That was something he was pretty good at there in, in his uh, time that he's had. And for him to beat out the guys that he did to get to the top of that depth chart, I, I feel pretty good about it. I think the one thing, you know, people really wonder about, well, are they going to block a lot of punts and lead mm-hmm. the country in that? I mean, when you have your best players on the field, you have a chance to be really good at coverage and blocking punts and so forth, which is you spoke to Marcus Freeman's commitment in your question. It's just, I don't have a sense of, Marty Biaggi, you know, is he that mad scientist that can see all these things on film? I mean, he's had teams where they've had a lot of block punts. But again, it's usually when there's a commitment by the head coach to have your best players. So I'm optimistic that they'll block some, but I don't think, I think maybe leading the nation would be overly ambitious for me to predict that. Yeah, I, I there was a thread on the Inside Lounge message board that was asking about blocking blocked punts and I I set the over under it at like two and a half. Um because I, I think I, I think you have to look at last season as an outlier until they do it two, two seasons in a row because that's just not a normal thing to be able to go out and block as many punts as Notre Dame did last season. Um when Marty Biaggi was at North Texas it, for three seasons they blocked nine punts in that time. Um so the, that Will that apply to Notre Dame? We'll we'll see. I I think some of it's situational, and um, you would like to think that that was the thing that was the craziest part about Notre Dame doing it last year is that okay, everyone knows that they're going after the punt, and they still weren't able to figure out a way to prevent Notre Dame from doing that. Um, so that that I would imagine that's going to be on the radar, even though Brian Mason is not has didn't return as a special teams coordinator. I think it's easy to imagine that. Notre Dame has guys that are committed to doing that and learned lessons and being able to do that from last year. Uh, so I think that will be fascinating to watch, but I mean, if the thing with Bryce McPherson and Spencer Schrader, those are really talented players for their position. So I'm very interested to see like, can they maximize that talent? Like Bryce McPherson seems like he's a very talented punter with the, 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 the distance that he can get with his punts with consistencies, um, he'd so, also I mean, be good on fake punts because he's a heck of an athlete. <laughs> yeah, he's a heck of an athlete, track and wrestling in high school. Um, so I mean, I mean, is it what? What do you think? Is it unrealistic to say that they could have one of the better punting and kicking combinations in college football? Is that is that too much of a reach? I think in raw material they have that. It's mm-hmm. just. And and what me, makes me feel good that that will get refined is because Marty Biaggi right. was a kicker and a punter. I mean, it's rare that your special teams guy actually played special teams. Mm-hmm. Well, he he was a specialist, so I think that will help them. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think these are all attainable things. Now, obviously, you got to go out and do it. Um, we haven't seen Spencer Schrader kick a, kick a field goal in Notre Dame Stadium. Um, and uh, well, we Bryce... saw him kick one at school field from 53 <laughs> yards that would have been good from 63. And, and Bryce McPherson's uh, blue gold game experience in Notre Dame Stadium wasn't a successful one, but I think there's there's a lot of hope that he will do he will do much better um, this season. So um, I think the expectations are high. Um, and I think that goes at a unit to unit basis. Like I think all those different units can have success. The Chris Tyree is a punt returner. I'm a, I'm interested to see what that looks like. I would think like my perception of Chris Tyree's best abilities are he's better when he's running, like when he has a head start and punt return, you're like sort of starting dead and then everyone's coming at you. And so you, you, you have to be very shifty at the start. And I'm, I don't know that I've seen a lot of that in Chris Tyree's game as a running back. So I'm interested to see what that looks like in him as a punt returner. Um, and uh, Devin Ford, I think is a very intriguing option there as a kick returner as well. So um, some reason to be excited about what, what could come there, but um, obviously they gotta, they gotta go out and prove it and show us what they can do. All right. That is it for today's episode of the inside Indy sports podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone who is Irish. We were back uh, on YouTube on Monday night for Football Never Sleeps. That's where you'll be able to hear us every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern throughout the season. So make sure you subscribe to us over there, even if you do listen to the audio on this podcast feed, which will be um, put into the podcast feed later this week. We are trying to get to 2,000 subscribers on the uh, Inside Indy Sports YouTube page before kickoff in Dublin, and we are 200 away. So please head over there and help us out if you haven't already done so. The Inside Indy Sports podcast is now in its weekly in-season schedule as well. We plan to record every Tuesday throughout the season, so that's when you can expect to hear from us. Um, the next time you'll hear my voice, I will be in Ireland. But until then, stick with InsideIndySports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs.